The message you are about to hear is brought to you by the Word and Sound Ministry of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. God bless you as you listen. Father, we thank you for today. It is such a good day, Lord. And so we bless your holy name. Father, we've come to spend some time in your word. We pray, Lord, that your word will bless us today. Lord, we pray that every heart here would be good soil for your word. We ask, Almighty God, that today it will please you to use the foolishness of preaching to save souls, Lord. All glory, all honor be unto thee, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. The month of February, which is just around the corner, is a month of praying and fasting. And it is one praying and fasting session that is compulsory. Now, um, I will produce a proper calendar of all the things we will be doing in February later. But for today, I prepared slides of um, the prayer points. There are seven prayer points for that month. I'll just put them on very, very briefly. Let's just look at them. Don't bother to write down. I notice when people write, they never read what they write anyway. Nigerians, they don't read. So, but if you want to write it down, you can write it down later. But we're going to publish it anyway. So, what's wrong with this thing now? It's okay. It's okay. So, the first prayer point has to do with purification. We've explained that because this year is the year of the Lord's glory, because this year the glory cloud of the Lord will come into the church, it will do a number of things when it does so. One, purification. And so we will spend time in that month of February praying Second Chronicles 5, 13, 14. We'll add some more prayer points, uh, more scripture later. The second thing that will happen is destinies will change. So that we have to spend some time praying that God's will will be done in our lives. God's glory always beautifies. The Bible says that the face of Moses changed. It, it shone because he had been in God's presence. Fifth, fourthly, there will be a ceiling. That is really like the most important thing about that month. The fact that people's fate can be sealed. Not for the year, but for the duration of their lives. So people just must, we must, we will together pray and fast. Then there will be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that in the last days, God will pour upon all flesh his Holy Spirit. And then the, other, the last two prayer points, one has to do with the church and the other has to do with the nation. So I want us all to prepare ourselves for the month of February. Like I said, we will publish this next Sunday when you come. You'll get copies of this with some more scriptures added. So you can... Save yourself the ordeal of writing. You can switch it off. This morning, 
and for the next few weeks, we want to look at the story of Ruth. Because it is the story of our lives. And it is so relevant to the time that we find ourselves in. Let me read the first seven verses of the book of Ruth. It's a very short book and I would encourage us today, when we get back home, just read the four chapters, just four chapters. Now it came to pass in the day when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she, she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Opa, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the, woman, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her two daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Today we are going to look at being steadfast. Being steadfast. I said we will spend the next couple of weeks looking at various aspects of Ruth's life and the life of the people that we have just read about because we will find that it is so relevant to the times that we all live in at the risk of sounding like a broken record this year will be a most eventful year because it is the year that God has decided that he himself must begin to unfold his own plans now, those who came in early during the um, Perfecting the Saints, the Bible study we did, we are talking about the Antichrist. The truth is the Antichrist is, is here. He's well, and he's putting in place his own plans as we approach the beginning of a new millennium. But God himself who knows all things, also has his own plans. And because God has determined 
that he must show himself a bit more visibly than hitherto. We have huge responsibilities. We cannot do things the way we've always done them. And I'll just use this simple story to show the kind of problems we will run into if we do business as usual. Now those first seven verses tells us, tell us that there was a man. He had a wife. He had two, two sons. They were from Bethlehem, Judah. Something happened. There was famine in the land. And so they decided to move out of Bethlehem, Judah. Just like most people keep moving out of Nigeria because there's a problem in the land. Many who are still in Nigeria as are in the country because age is not exactly on their side. It's a bit late now to move. But most young people, if you give them wings, they will fly out of this nation. So we, we find this family, they, they had a situation that was difficult. And so they moved out. They went to the land of Moab. We are told first the man died, then his two sons died. And then we are told the wife got up with her two daughters-in-law and decided to go back to Bethlehem, Judah. That story in itself has so much that is so relevant to us. And so I'm going to spend some time and just break it down. And as I do so, I want each person to think of his life, her life, and determine where exactly these things refer to you. The problem is stated in verse 1. It says that there was famine in the land. And we all know that famine is a shortage of food, a shortage of essential commodities. And the reason for the famine is given in that same verse. It says, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. So the famine had something to do with that era, an era of the judges. What was it about that era that created famine? The answer is in Judges chapter 21, the last verse, verse 25. It says in that verse of scripture, it says in those days, the days when judges ruled, it says there was no king in Israel. It says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So that the era of the judges was an era when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Everybody was Lord. You just did what you wanted to do. And it really didn't matter. And as a result of that state of affairs, the Bible tells us that famine came into the land. The ideal situation 
that which God had ordained had nothing to do with famine at all. Because Bethlehem simply means the house of bread. Bethlehem means the house of bread, the place of plenty. Of course, we all know that Judah means praise. And it is true that when there's enough to eat, when there's a lot of money in your bank account, your praise is louder. When the money begins to diminish, your praise also goes down. So that when God says, Bethlehem Judah, he understands the human being well, that there will be maximum praise in the place where there's plenty of bread. It says that these people that we are reading about, Elimelech and wife and children, were Ephratites. Ephrata means fruitful. So the story we are reading almost immediately looks like a paradox. Bethlehem, Judah, the land of bread, the land of praise, the place of fellowship. Ephrata, fruitfulness. All of a sudden, the Bible tells us they had famine. So the place of bread, the place of plenty, suddenly became a place of lack. And as a result of that, we are told that this particular family decided to relocate to a place where there was no famine. But the problem was that they lived in a particular era, an era when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The ideal thing was to do those things that were right in God's sight. And if you look at the Bible well, whenever people enter into the lane of the judges, into the era of the judges, whenever people begin to do things that they find satisfy themselves, that they want to do, famine always comes. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says there that Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab the king, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And immediately the heavens were shut. No water, no growth. Everything came to a standstill. And Israel again experienced famine. Reason, because Ahab was a wicked king. He had married Jezebel a foreigner, and had caused the children of Israel to worship idols. And the famine came. Now, how does all of this relate to us? I asked some people yesterday, I said, what are the prophecies for 1999? And somebody said, the first prophecy that somebody could think of was, he says, it was the year of triple blessings. That's what we all want, triple blessings. Indeed, it can be a year of triple blessings. It can be a wonderful year. But at the same time, 
it can be a year of famine. So that this year, we must ensure that we do not do that which is right in our own eyes. We must live our lives in accordance with the dictates of God. God must be our guiding principle. And, and so easily, if you look at your situation right now, if you can see famine in any aspect of your life, it might be your health, it might be your finances, it might be your work, it might be the contracts you are doing, it might be your education. Whenever you see famine, the problem is not with God. The problem is always with man. Something is wrong with your relationship with God. You are doing things that you ought not to do. And because we say this year God wants to purify his church. It means, therefore, that if we become like the children of Israel during the era of the judges, if we all just do things the way we feel like, then something will go wrong. I've said repeatedly, you can't do things the way you did them last year. Because people did a lot of bad things last year. And many are ready to do the same things again this year. Because as far as they're concerned, like the purchasing manager we saw last Sunday, how else can you do things in Nigeria? No other way but to do them the way you want. 1999 can be a year of fruitfulness. It can be a year of plenty. It can be a year of Bethlehem, Judah, if you want. But it will only be on God's terms. No other way. Psalm 119, 105, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This year, more than any other year, God's word must be a lamp unto your feet. And I find that very interestingly, people are actually carrying on the same old way. I guess that's why we are human beings. People just like and love routine. In verse 11 of Psalm 119, David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. This is one year we must make sure that we keep God's word in our hearts so that that word will guide us. It is one year, for example, there are many people who are here today. They never pay tithes. As far as their Christianity is concerned, it stops short of payment of tithes. You can't, you cannot worship God on your own terms because that's what you're doing. In fact, if you look at it well, the money therefore has become your God. It is not your business whether the money is spent well or badly. In the first place, the money doesn't belong to you. 
But then there are many Christians who will tell you, because I've heard them say so, that they just don't believe in it. You cannot, the word of the Lord is not a buffet. It's one of those meals that you eat everything, whether you like it or not. And it's not just in that area alone. There are people here who would rather go to hell than speak to certain enemies of theirs. There are people like that. They are in this church. And then if we say, let us say the Lord's Prayer, they will open their mouths wide and say, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. You know, the only person who makes statements like that and has no intentions of keeping them is what we call a first-class fool. And it's most times because we do not understand that it is God that we are dealing with. We treat our coming in here as something we do by ourselves. But it's not supposed to be like that. The people of Israel, they did as they wished. They went against God and the repercussions came in the physical. As they did that which was right in their own eyes, they experienced a physical famine in their lives. So that we, we cannot, particularly this year, that's why I said the very first time I spoke about God's glory, I said, I asked one question. I said, when the glory cloud comes, where will you run to? Or where will you hide? Where? Simply, there's no place to hide. No place at all to hide. So we find a situation that God had put in place, a situation of Abundance, a situation of plenty, a situation of joy, a situation of praise, a situation of worship. It turns sour. Not because God decided to play a game or a prank on the people, but the people themselves walked in a different direction. And one of the things that many of us don't understand, that's about prophecy is that there is prophecy and there is the fulfillment of prophecy. Before Samson was born, there was prophecy over his life. These things will he do. He will deliver his people. He will do this. He will rule. But we find the man fighting very personal battles that had to do with women. And because he ventured into another road, he finally lost his freedom. Nowhere was the prophecy given that stated that Samson would be a prisoner. Nowhere was the prophecy given that stated that Samson would lose his eyes. That was not part of the plan. But it happened to him. So that it's nice to say it is the year of God's glory, as many Christians say. I saw behind somebody's car the other day, one of these, okay, let me not abuse the church, one of these churches. 
They say this is the, is the year of distinction. And somebody put that kind of sticker on the back of his car. And I keep on telling people, you know the reason why it's because people are sheep. And you know sheep is foolish. No intelligence. Because the year of distinction, it doesn't mean anything. The year of distinction. Anyway. But the thing is, it's one thing to say, one way or the other, the righteous will be blessed. That is God's intention. Now you must be willing to be blessed before the blessing will come upon you. All that prophecy can flow and pass and not touch anybody. Doesn't mean that God told a lie. No. God just lays bare before you his own intentions. And he wants you to agree with him. But if you choose to disagree with him, there's nothing he's going to do about it. As many as agree with him, he will work with them. So let's not think that when we say um, it is a year of triple blessings, uh, 99% of Christian will never see triple blessings. Because they will not work worthy of triple blessings. It's not because we say it's a year of triple blessings that you just think that triple blessings will just begin to drop upon you from everywhere. That is what they call magic. You must qualify for triple blessings. You must be in the place of triple blessings. If we live our lives anyhow, you will never see triple blessings. Because the Bible tells us that when every man did that which was right in their own eyes, God withdrew. And famine came into a situation of plenty, a situation of joy, a situation of peace, a situation of fruitfulness. That was what God laid out. And you see it in the names that we read about. And very interestingly, on another level, if you look at each person who is here today, we have said before that each one of us is supposed to be what? The temple of God. Each person. In other words, each one of us is supposed to be like a Bethlehem Judah. Each life here is supposed to be a life of bread, a life of abundance, a life of fruitfulness. But more often than not, what we find in life is famine, is struggle, is strife, is tears. It has nothing to do with God. Because Paul says, what? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. And we've explained what goes on in the temple. You know, in the temple, there's a bread, there's a light of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I, I am the bread of life. So each life this year should be like Bethlehem Judah. It should be a life of what, what takes place in the temple. It's worship and praise. It should be a life of fruitfulness, a life of praise, a life of bread, because Jesus is there with you. But more often than not, we are all scrounging here for 
a bit here, a bit there. Why? It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us. We printed, for example, just to show you how famine sets in. If I passed out sheets of paper this morning and I asked that each person should write all the prophecies that we published in our bulletin, you know, less than 10% will get 50%. Because most of us have forgotten already. Yet if I say, God has spoken once, everybody will answer quickly. And twice have I heard. How can you want triple blessings in a particular year? And you don't even know what is expected of you in that year. Because you have forgotten. And yet, very religious Christians, 6 o'clock on the 31st, you're already in camp. Take part in Holy Communion. Wait for watch night. You listen to all the things. You wrote everything down. After that, when you got home, some of you can't even find the books where you wrote this stuff in again. So, what's the problem? Because that is the pathway to famine. It is the pathway to lack. And it has nothing to do with God. God has proposed that he will bless. And look at the name of the man, Elimelech. It means God is king. His wife, Naomi, means pleasant. I mean, those are really nice, wonderful names. They are people who are to dwell in the place of fellowship, in the land of plenty. They were ordained to be fruitful. They were ordained to have a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. The names that they have show us clearly the intention because God knows a lot about names. And that's why each one of us here has a name. The most important name for each person here is the fact that you are a Christian. But some, their Christianity is like we saw that last Sunday. The chief chief will say, I like your Christianity, Mr. Purchase Manager. A little to the left, a little to the right. That's the kind of Christianity that many people practice. That is the kind of Christianity that many of us practice. So that the names that we carry are just lies. Because Elimelech says God is king. And when God is king, he is king in good times and in bad times. He's not king only in good times. But for many, God is only king in good times. So I'm trying to encourage us to understand that one month is already rolling by. We've got to cross our T's, dot our I's. We've got to make sure that we do everything well. 
this year. Because as you do so, God will bless. If you walk worthy, you will knock on one door and three doors will open. Easily. Easily. But it's in your hands. It's not in the hands of any man. It's in your hands. Because many of us are like that purchasing manager. Many are like that. We do the things we want to do, then we attribute it to God. All wisdom is from God. It's true. But not the way we apply the wisdom. Now when the famine came, what did Elimelech do? The Bible says he packed his family and they went to the land of Moab because there was no famine in the land of Moab. Which is the tendency for most Christians. Most of us will always move from God to Moab. That is the way God had set things in place. Let me just explain what Moab here represents. If you look at Genesis 19.37, the Bible there tells us that Moab is the result of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his first daughter. And for that reason, God expressly forbade the children of Israel from having anything to do with the Moabites. So the Moab in the Bible here that we're reading is a type of the carnal life, of the self-life of a Christian. Moab is representative of the flesh. The things that the flesh likes and wants. Moab is a land where God does not reign. It's a place of idol worship and where the chief idol itself is self. So we find a man who says God is king. Placed by God in a land called Bethlehem, Judah. The land of bread, the land of praise. The land of fruitfulness. Something goes wrong. And what does he do? He crosses over to the land of Moab. And that's really the state of most Christians. Many people think that all that is necessary in life is to be saved. You see, when we are saved, we move away from Egypt. But we forget that we now need to contend with the flesh. That's why there is that terminology, carnal Christian. It's an anomaly. It shouldn't exist. But then it does exist. Let's turn our Bible to Romans chapter 8. I want us to read something there together. Romans 8. Let's read verses 6 and 7 together. Verses 6 and 7. Are we all there? Want to go. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. 
Moab is not subject to the law of God. Not only is it not subject, it is impossible for it to be subject to the law of God. The flesh can never be subject to the law of God. And the Bible says, if you are carnally minded, if you are tilting towards the flesh, it says it will bring about death. And we see that the man, Elimelech, died in the land of Moab. Because the place of the flesh is the place of death. Yet the flesh rules. And one of the things you find about Christians, no matter how much you speak to them, there are people sitting here today, on Monday morning, they will do many wrong things. They will falsify figures. They will sign documents that they ought not to sign. They will take money they ought not to take. They will do all sorts of strange things. So, why do you come to church? Why do you want to be a Christian? You see, Christianity cannot, it's not on our terms. It's on God's terms. It has nothing to do with you. It's God who came to earth and died and paid a price. And then says, okay, henceforth, once you accept that price, you walk through this door. And once you walk through this door, this is the way to walk. Then we come, we say we accept. Then when you walk through the door, you say, ah, what kind of door is this? This door is not good enough. You begin to open your own doors. Now, if you understand that there will be purification, it means people are going to be exposed and there will be a lot of shame. There will be a lot of shame. God is going to expose people. God, judgment always starts in the house of God. It doesn't start outside. Some people are going to be sacked from their jobs and they're going to live with their heads down in shame. Except you clean up your act. And you begin to pray that God should have mercy upon you. Because that's just the problem. When the Christian comes to Christ, he comes. And he comes with his flesh. Yet Jesus says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He says that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Never shall the twain meet because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You see a man, his name means God is king. The wife's name is pleasant. They are Ephratites. They are ordained to be fruitful. They live in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Bethlehem, Judah, they have a relationship with God. These people are possibly better Christians than us. But a slight problem. Where do they find themselves? In the land of Moab. In the place of the flesh. And in the land of Moab, one, God is not worshipped. Two, there's no fellowship. Three, it is the land of idols. They have no reason to be there. Because as we sit 
with the increase in the fuel prices, with the increase in the price of diesel, many are going to do all sorts of things to make ends meet. But you see, the truth is, if you trust God, you won't need to be a magician. He'll see you through, as he saw you through last year. And this year, in fact, he intends to see you through on a grander scale. But what Elimelech did was the same thing that Lot did. Farming on this side, the grass is green on the other side. And across he goes. We cannot afford to be like that. Not this year. Everyone who is here today, you just must find how to stay out of the land of Moab. You must climb out of carnality. You just must. Else, the very first thing that is going to happen, purification. The purification of God, the Bible describes it only one way. It is the same process as the purification of precious metal. It is by fire. But the Bible tells us clearly, says, if we will judge ourselves, we will not be, we will not be judged. So every man should just begin quickly and quietly now and say, what are the things that I need to make amends about? And then sort yourself out so that when the fire comes, it's not going to just burn and blow you away. Because that's what happened to this man. The flesh will always be the flesh. It belongs to this earth. It will never enter into the kingdom of God. I know the thing about flesh, really, that's about us all. Everybody's so nicely dressed. This last week, I had cause to go to the mortuary at General Hospital. Everybody had to handkerchief around their nostrils. The place stinks. And what is inside there is human beings that, don't, that are dead. Flesh just smells. Even those of us who are alive, if you don't use fragrance, you know that uh, <laughs> everybody beside you just begins to feel funny. I, I, am I lying? Who knows use perfume here today? And then when you get home, you make sure you don't brush your mouth for two or three days and see what happens. You are just like the living dead. You smell. And God apparently in his wisdom put all of that in place so that we can understand that we should not let it rule us. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. Let's read together verses 16 to 21. Are we all there? Galatians 5, 16 to 21. One, two, go. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, 
which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, and as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we can tell that Elimelech died in Moab and therefore did not go into Abraham's bosom. And one thing that I just want us all to understand is that in that story, when did Elimelech die? He died before he died. He didn't die when he died. You see, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that God said to Adam, in the day that thou eatest of this fruit, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die. But then the same God came in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and his wife had had their fill of the fruit. And so I said, Adam, where art thou? The reason simply is this. You exist on three levels. Spirit, soul, body. Death is separation from God. When a Christian ceases to have contact with God, that Christian is dead spiritually and it will manifest itself physically in the end. So the day Elimelech said to his family, let's go. This place is terrible. As he left the place of fellowship with God, as he left the place that God had ordained for him to be, he died. And it was just a matter of time that physical death would come upon him. And there are many people like that. They are traveling the road of death. Why? You have no fellowship with God. You do not know who he is. But you're in church on Sundays. You do all the things you ought not to do. It is a matter of time for physical death to manifest. Because once it's been done in the spirit realm, it will appear eventually in the physical. So the day Elimelech left Bethlehem, Judah, and crossed over to Moab, he died. And in due course, his body finally died. So the Bible says as a warning that to be carnally minded is death. Why? Because in the place of carnality, in the place of the flesh, God doesn't exist there. There's no fellowship with God there. There's no praise there. There's no worship there. All that you have there is self. And once God detaches himself from you, that is really what death is all about. That it will manifest itself eventually, physically, is as good as done. Because you find that his two sons also die because they had separated themselves from God. 
So today I just want us all who are here to understand that as much as this year holds great promise, we have a responsibility to ensure that we walk and lay hold of the promises of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what Christians do. They just shout hallelujah and that's all. But it's not supposed to be so. It's to be our lives, our very lives should be hallelujah. And the worst part of life is that when we come to the place where we don't even know anymore that that which we do is wrong, then that person, we have explained that before, is already sleeping. He's sleeping the sleep of what? Of death. Because that's another problem people have. They, they are so far out. They don't understand what they are doing anymore. They steal, but they don't even know they have stolen. I mean, really and truly, they do not. Because stealing is when a thief comes into a house and takes something and is chased out and they shout, holy, holy, holy. That's what people now understand to be stealing. When you shortchange people, they don't understand that to be stealing. They call it profit. But you know, the interesting thing about all of this is, except of course your case is too far gone. Once your case is still okay, the Holy Spirit will always be telling you, that one you have done is not okay. Oh. You know, it's not okay. Don't do that. You know, it's not okay. And then you keep on telling him, shut up, shut up, shut up. Then after a while, he keeps quiet. Turn to Psalm 37. I want to show you something that Elimelech didn't know. But which you don't have any excuse about. Let's read verses 18 and 19 together. To show that even in the place of famine, once you link up with God, there will be famine all around, but it will not touch you. Shall we read together Psalm 37 verses 18 and 19? One, two, go. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. Elimelech apparently didn't know this, that it is possible to be satisfied in the days of famine. And many of us too don't know it. Because if you do and you believe it, then you will stay in Bethlehem, Judah. You will not cross over to the land of Moab. Let us bow our heads this this morning and just talk to the Lord, each person. Tell the Lord that this is the year that you want to knock on one door and have three doors open. But that you want him to help you. That you want him to help you. And then those of us who need to tell him that these are the things that I have even done in this first two weeks of the year that I ought not to have done. This is a good time to do so. And then ask for grace. Because when the glory cloud comes in, it will burn. 
it will purify. Now, whilst we are praying, there are many of us here today, not a few, who have never said to God before, I accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. There are many of us who have continually lived our lives just any way we want. But today is a wonderful day to say to Jesus, I thank you for the blood that was shed. I thank you because that blood today can wash away all my sins. And so Jesus, I accept that sacrifice on the cross. Cleanse me. Cleanse me from all my sin. If you are here and you want to say that prayer to the Lord, just put up your hand so we can identify you and put a card in your hand. Is there anybody who wants to say to Jesus today, I accept the sacrifice on the cross. I know you died for me. Please accept me today as one of your own. Just put up your hand wherever you are and we'll put a card in your hand. We need to see your hand so we can put a card in your hand. You must know for yourself whether or not you are saved. The Lord knows and you yourself, you know. It is not a thing to be ashamed of. We must ensure that even before we step out of here today, we have settled all our accounts with the Lord. And one way of doing so is just by saying to the Lord, I accept that sacrifice on the cross. Just put up your hand wherever you are. Wherever you are, just put up your hand and we'll put a card in your hand. That's all. You want to say to Jesus, I accept the sacrifice on the cross today. Please accept me as one of your own. If you are here, you are not sure that Jesus is really your Lord and Savior. Just put up your hand wherever you are and take a card. And then you can pray. But don't pretend to be a Christian if you are really not one. The rest of us, let's just speak to the Lord today. thank you for today we thank you Lord for your word we pray that your word would find our hearts to be good soil Lord Father we pray almighty God that today your precious spirit will enable each one of us 
to remain steadfast, Lord, and not to waver. Help each one of us here, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Now I want us to pray two prayers, or three prayers. The first is Psalm 37, 18 and 19, which says that the Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. It says, they shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. I want us all to ask the Lord today that in accordance with his word, that he should satisfy us despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in, irrespective of the situation that is prevailing in this nation, that God, because his word says that even when things are difficult, he will satisfy. Let's ask the Lord today that he should be our hope and our mainstay, that he should keep us and satisfy our every desires and needs. Let's lift up our voices and just ask the Lord today. says that in the day of famine you will satisfy the righteous and so Lord we say despite the situations we find ourselves in it is unto you that we lift up our eyes it is unto you that we lift up our hearts for our help comes from thee Father satisfy each one of us Lord hold us in the place of Bethlehem Judah Lord Lord help us so that we do not cross over into the land of Moab we ask this in Jesus mighty name Psalm 35, 37, verse 25. It says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. It is the word of God. So let's bring it back to the Lord today. Particularly those of us who are going through really difficult times, tell him that his word says that the righteous will never be forsaken that the seed of the righteous will not beg bread and then tell him that you are the righteousness of God in Christ by the reason of the blood of Jesus Christ let's lift up our voices and just talk to the Lord today Father we thank you for your word Lord we bless you Brasoko Tobahika, Maika Zakata Lida Hidala Santa Nayade. 
Lord, it is your word we bring back to you today. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And your word says that the righteous will never be forsaken. Do not forsake us, Lord. Your word says that the seed of the righteous will never beg bread. Lord, may we never beg bread, Lord. Oh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Lastly, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, I want us to read together verses 5 and 6 and then just ask. We'll read together verses 5 and 6 and I want us to do just that. Everything that you do, everything that you want to do, learn how to commit them unto the Lord. Let's read together Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. One, two, go. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's what we need this year. That's what we need this year. So let's just commit our lives, our plans, our meetings of Monday, our transactions. Let's commit everything, even now, unto the Lord. All that we want to do this year, let's commit them to the Lord's hands. Our travel plans, our plans for further education, commit everything to the Lord. Acknowledge the Lord. And the Bible says you will direct your paths. even as we've lifted up our voices unto you today you who fashioned the air will you not hear us Lord Father your word says that we should call unto you and you'll answer us and show us great and mighty things that we know not as we have called unto you today Lord please hear us answer us Lord but as many as have poured out their hearts to you today precious spirit of the living God Uphold, protect, guide, and keep. 
do not let us wander into the land of Moab, Lord. Let us remain in the place of fellowship. Let us remain in the place of worship and praise. Glory and honor be unto thee, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.